Hello, everyone. Welcome into CUSA Insider, the official podcast of Conference USA. I'm Sarah Rudolph, your host. Excited to be here with you. Happy holidays and season's greetings to all our listeners. As it is the time of the year for giving and generosity, don't forget, if you are enjoying this podcast, subscribe on Apple or Spotify so you never miss a new episode. Go follow us on social media at CUSA Insider Pod on X and Instagram and write us a review. Let us know what you think of the podcast. Um, We really appreciate it. We've been doing this for two whole months now, having a blast, um, and really hope that you're enjoying yourselves as I know we are too. All right, we've got a bit of a shorter show today. I'll start out with a few current events, and then uh, we've got an interview with Chris Vanini of The Athletics, so stick around for that. Lots of our CUSA staff members are out of the office, getting an early start on their holiday vacations. But in addition to this time of the year being the holiday season, it is also bowl season, and boy, has it been a fun one for Conference USA so far. We kicked things off this past Saturday with a history-making victory in the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl. Jacksonville State won their first ever bowl game in school history, defeating the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns 34 to 31 in overtime in the Superdome, and they broke five New Orleans Bowls rec- New Orleans Bowl records along the way. There were so many great storylines in this game, obviously first bowl win in Gamecock program history, a bowl win in their first year as an FBS program, a bowl appearance that in the middle of the season we weren't totally sure was even going to happen due to NCAA restrictions, but it did, and we loved every single second of it. The Gamecocks scored on a fourth down play with less than two minutes to go and regulation descended into overtime, and then the game came down to freshman kicker Garrison Rippa, who was a first-time starter in this New Orleans Bowl. If you have not seen his kick prep, him sitting on the sidelines with his head up against the wall, talking to himself, calming himself down, it is great. It's great TV. I'm so just I, – I, I was so amazed at his um, preparation. I loved it. Um, and obviously, um, Alan Karadzic, um, kicker for the Gamecocks in the transfer portal. So he did not play this game and it was all on Ripa and he shined, he came to play. He nailed a 27 yarder to win it for the Gamecocks. And then the celebration commenced. That was a classic. Uh, be sure to try and catch that um, re-air um, if it comes on television or go see it on ESPN Plus if you didn't get a chance to watch it. Um, so congratulations are definitely in order here for Coach Rodriguez and the Jacksonville State Gamecocks on their first bowl win in program history. We can't wait to see what's to come out of this program in the coming years. And then later that afternoon, um, New Mexico State dropped a tough one to a Fresno State team um, in the New Mexico Bowl. We talked a lot about this uh, game on our bowl preview show last week, and that Bulldog team is very, very good, and we knew it. And it was certainly um, a tough matchup for the Aggies, especially with uh, Diego Pavia still not 100% after his injury um, in the uh, CUSA title game. Um, So... 
dropped a tough one there, but you know, congratulations are still uh, definitely um, in order for them as uh, they notched a 10 win season for the first time since 1960. I mean, it had been a long time coming. Jerry Kill has this program on the rise um, and Diego Pavia still has a year of eligibility left. So hoping to see them back next year, hoping to see great things from them again in 2024. Um, and then that was the the last one for us that Saturday. But fast forward a little bit to Monday, and there was a great game on. If you didn't catch it, you missed out. WKU versus Old Dominion in the famous Toastery Bowl in Charlotte. And guys, I can't lie to you. I turned it off at one point. I was not the best fan in the world. Uh, when WKU went down 21 to nothing in the first quarter, I was a little distraught. But I picked myself up off the couch. I turned that TV back on, and thank goodness I did because it was one of the most fun, improbable, ridiculous <laughs> bowl games that I have ever had the privilege to watch. Another overtime game coming down to the wire with a field goal to win it, but this one had just a little bit more flair to it than uh, the New Orleans Bowl because WKU had to erase a 28-point deficit to do it. Obviously, Austin Reed was out for the game, but redshirt Caden Feltkamp stepped up and had himself a game, going 40 of 52 for 383 yards and five touchdowns, three of them going to Dalvin Smith, who had a Sports Center top play after that game with a one-handed catch in the end zone. Um, it was just so crazy and fun to watch. I remember I was cooking dinner for my kids there at the end, and I just kept looking at my husband being like, I can't I can't believe this is happening. I don't know what's going on, and I loved it. Um, so obviously Veltkamp currently in the transfer portal, but you never know. He could still be a Hilltopper next year, so we will see what happens there. Um, but winning it in spectacular fashion, Old Dominion possessed the ball um, first in overtime, and they had their field goal attempt blocked by the Hilltoppers. And then uh, WKU's Lucas Carnero drilled a 29-yarder to win it all uh, for the team in overtime. Uh, the final score to that game, 38-35. to Tops win the toast. There was actual toast passed around on the field after uh, the game for post-game celebration. So um, famous Toastery Bowl. I know that the game may or may not happen again next year with the Bahama Bowl coming back, but I think you should, you know, throw your name into the ring for another uh, bowl sponsorship because that was fun. Uh, this is what bowl games and bowl season is all about. So we had a really good time watching that one. Conference USA is 2-1 and one in bowls so far um, with one left to go. Obviously, we have a big one coming up with Liberty taking on Oregon and the Verbo Fiesta Bowl on January 1st on ESPN. That game is at 1 p.m. Eastern, and so you can catch that one then. And we will have a full Fiesta Bowl preview show for you next week on December 27th. So be sure to check that out if you are interested. All right, everyone. That's really it for me today from a current events standpoint. Without further ado, let's get to our interview portion of the show with our friend Chris Vanini from The Athletic. All right, guys, joining me today, we have a special guest. Um, I have with me Chris Vanini, senior writer from The Athletic. Super excited to have him join the podcast today. He does a lot of writing um, for all of college football, but really enjoy his writing for the group of five. Chris, how are you today? Good. Good to be here. Enjoying some midweek, middle of the day bowl games, which is uh, my favorite December tradition. So I'm good. 
Yes, we we had a bowl preview show last week, and I um, equated it to for football fans um, the March Madness midweek games when you're sitting at the office and there's a game on at two thirty. Um, but Chris, we uh, obviously bowl season is underway, um, and Conference USA. First year out of the gate, newly realigned teams. Um, we've got a bowl win already with Jacksonville State. Um, we've got a Fiesta Bowl appearance by the Liberty Flames. Uh, can you just talk to me a little bit about, you know, Conference USA's early success after realignment? Yeah, I, I mean, you go back two years, a little more than two years ago, and, you know, it looked like the conference was on the verge of potentially collapsing like the Pac-12 did. Um, and then to go from that to where they are now is really a remarkable turnaround. And I, I think it's it's a success in, in two different ways. The first one is just simply being on uh, games that are on TV, that new TV deal with ESPN and CBS, the midweek October games. Uh, for a long time, you know, it was kind of out of sight, out of mind. I think people just kind of didn't pay attention to Conference USA because you had to go out of your way to find it. And then this year, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, there's a Conference USA game on in, in October. And so I think I watched more Conference USA football this year than I probably ever have. And I think a lot of college football fans are probably the same way. So that in itself was a success, I think, in, in, in this first year of that deal, just to be able to watch more. And then on the field, obviously, uh, Liberty, New Mexico State having big years, Jacksonville State having a big year. And I, I think... Uh, Conference USA kind of followed the Sun Belts approach, which was adding schools that kind of have a history of winning for the most part, and that generally continues. It's what happened with Liberty. It's what happened with Jacksonville State, uh, and there'll be more teams coming in here soon. So, yeah, it's really been a heck of a turnaround for the conference uh, over these two years to now where it just, you know, to 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 have a Final Four, to have a Fiesta Bowl for the first time is uh, remarkable. Yeah, it's, it's nice to hear it from somebody on the outside because I think that there are a lot of people, fans, just general people in college football, writers, broadcasters, that really thought that Conference USA was going to go away. But we came back, and we are strong, and we are just, like, leading um, into such a great year um, for the league. And we are showing people up. We're showing people wrong. Um, and so I do appreciate that perspective um, from the outside. And obviously, we have Kennesaw State coming on next year in 2024. We recently announced that we're adding Delaware in 2025. What can you say um, about those future editions of the league? Yeah, Kennesaw State, I mean, that's a very new program. I think they're not even 10 years old in terms of football, and they've been a FCS powerhouse pretty much uh, since they started consistently a top 10 program. And and so th there's a lot of, I think, infrastructure to still come there, like stadium and all, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, but they've been very successful in what they've been doing on the field, running that triple option offense. Very curious how that's going to fit into the conference. And then Delaware is, again, one of those well-resourced programs that has a history of winning, that has the facilities in place. And I think uh, th that is an addition where, again, kind of like the, the Sun Belt thing, where you're bringing in these teams that are used to winning, that have these high expectations. And again, that usually translates. I, I mean, the, the, the track record, pretty much everybody in the Sun Belt right now is a former FCS team. And... They continue to win when they move up. So I think it was a smart addition to go for programs that are established as opposed to kind of ones that kind of got to get their stuff together. 
Yeah. And I think, I think people forget about that, right? I know obviously, so I have access to the conference USA Twitter backend. And so when we make these announcements, people are like, Oh, why, why are you going after these teams? But these are good, good programs. Like you're saying, they're great programs. Um, and it's been done before at our level at conference USA at the Sunbelt. Um, and I think people kind of forget the history of that, um, sometimes. So like you have done a lot of work with conference realignment. Um, some, you've done some great writing on conference realignment for you um, looking in how important is the identification process when looking to add a new school to the G5 level especially from the FCS ranks yeah I mean obviously if you're the Big Ten adding a school it's a lot different than if you're conference USA adding a school and you know that there, there have been a lot of schools that have been talked about that obviously your conference has talked with and, and, and positives and negatives to a lot of them but I think again the ones that have you know, a high athletic budget, the ones that have facilities in place, those are the ones that generally find the success. Like I didn't expect James Madison to be this good this quickly in FBS, but they were a top three FCS squad, you know? So like when I, when I talked to people there before they moved up, they were like, look, we haven't had a losing season in like 20 years, you know, like that is a place that just the, the winning is so ingrained and it's the same thing at Liberty. Liberty hasn't had a losing season in 15, 20 years or something like that. So again, like through different coaching changes, through all these different things, the programs, the history of college football, the pro, the teams that win the most games are typically the teams that have always won the most games. And, and that doesn't just mean Ohio State and Oklahoma. That can mean James Madison and Liberty and, and stuff like that. So I think, um, you know, from where Conference USA started and trying to find members to to who it ended up picking – I think that ended up being a pretty clear uh, part of the decision process. And based on how things went this first year continues to be a smart way to go about things. I want to ask you a question about um, the CUSA championship, the football championship that just finished up a few weeks ago. What are your thoughts kind of on the storyline between two FBS, formerly FBS independents who joined the league and made the conference championship in their first year? This was something that was talked about a lot in our office because Without joining a league, there is no Fiesta Bowl for Liberty. There is no conference championship for New Mexico State or possible conference championship. Um, so what are your thoughts, I guess, on on that, on the FBS independents finally finding a home in Conference USA? If I, if I recall correctly, I think Liberty and New Mexico State may have played a home-and-home home with each other once or twice in the same season. They did like where yes. they play each other twice in a in a twelve game regular season because because when you're an independent it is be, is becoming so much harder to find games that they would play two games against each other and so both of these teams really want to get into a conference both of them had different hurdles and reasons for that New Mexico State had been in the Sun Belt eventually got kicked out along with Idaho because it didn't make any sense Idaho goes down to FCS when that happens and they're now a top 10 FCS team, but New Mexico state didn't. And they told me that the reason they didn't want to drop down to FCS was because then you fall behind the FCS, Texas schools. Like they wanted to be on the same level of UTEP and New Mexico. And if they, if they fell behind their peers would be those FCS, Texas teams. When Idaho moved down, their peers are all in that same region teams that they used to play for a long period of time. It made a little bit more sense for them. Uh, so they were hoping to get, Mountain West to be with New Mexico, but that was never going to happen. And so Conference USA comes around at the exact right time. Liberty 
obviously wanted to be in a conference for a long time. They had to get a waiver to move up from FCS to FBS without a conference invitation. No, you need an invitation to move up, but because they're so well resourced and everything, they got that waiver. And so both those schools take two very different paths into the conference at the same time and have big success. I mean, Liberty had had success forever. Like I said, New Mexico state had not, they're going to their second bowl, their third bowl game this year for the first time. And for like the third time in like 60 years. So that, that was a program that did not have a lot of success. That is a lot of credit to Jerry kill and what he has done there. Um, maybe more than institutionally. So yeah, that was, it turned out to be a great uh, matchup for conference. USA to have two 10 win teams in the championship game, but to have it on a, I think it was Friday, right? So yep, it was, Friday night. it, it, it um, had a bit of a window there on its own. It was a good game. I wish Diego Pavia had been able to play, but uh, turned out to be good. And again, two good pickups by the conference. Yeah, it was a lot of fun um, for sure to be there. Um, let's You talked a little bit about Liberty. Let's talk about Liberty for a second. Obviously, Fiesta Bowl appearance coming up here, uh, New Year's Six Bowl, January 1st against Oregon. Um, obviously, we know it's a tall order. We're not, we're not trying to play dumb here. We know that it, Oregon is a tough team. Um, but tell me a little bit about um, what you think about this Liberty team with a dynamic quarterback in Caden Salter, Jamie Chadwell's first year at the helm of the program. Um, give me a little bit of insight um, from your perspective into what type of team Liberty is. Yeah, I, I mean, Jamie Chadwell has, he's just, he's won wherever he's been um, with that exciting spread option offense he likes to run. And Caden Salter, much like Grayson McCall, turned out to be the perfect player for that. And it took a couple of weeks before they finally got it all together, but he's been putting up ridiculous numbers pretty much ever since. And so, you know, Liberty comes in 13-0. This is not a team I think is probably stacked with NFL players like maybe those UCF teams of a few years ago were, but but they play hard, they play together, they play a, a style of offense that is difficult to defend. Um, and so I, I think that's pretty exciting. I mean, I thought Chadwell, Jimmy Chadwell and Coastal Carolina should have made uh, made the Fiesta Bowl in 2020, actually, which was against Oregon. That was the year that Coastal Carolina was undefeated, but Cincinnati got the group of five spot. Coastal Carolina didn't get in, even though I thought they should have over Iowa State, who ended up going playing Oregon. So Jamie Chadwell versus Oregon ends up happening anyway. I'm, I'm very curious to see what Caden Salter does on this stage against a, a really good defense like that. I think he's a really good player, and this could be perhaps a breakout moment for him um, if he's given enough time back there. Yeah, for sure. I'm so excited to see the quarterback play in this game. I mean, Caden Salter, Bo Nix, I think it's going to be a really fun one. Uh, I think everyone should watch. Hopefully they will be on their couches on New Year's Day. Um, but yeah, just really excited for that program. Very excited for the conference. Um, obviously, I myself is a, am a staff member for the conference, but just coming from what they were, coming from what we were uh, two years ago during all of this realignment shift to now, um, it is just, it's a good story. It is. It's great. And we're very excited about it. Yeah, no, I'm actually in the process of writing that story. Now it was something I was planning to do as soon as Liberty got the bid. Uh, I was like, Hey, final four near six bowl. That's let's check in. So I've been in the process of kind of talking with a bunch of people throughout the league uh, about how that happened because uh, yeah, no, it, it's a good story. I remember talking to talking to a commissioner around that time. And I remember they said, it's very 
it's very hard to kill a conference. Um, and that turned out to be true for Conference USA. And then Pac-12 technically isn't dead. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, I would have not have guessed two years ago if you'd tell me Conference USA is here and the Pac-12 is essentially gone. Uh, yeah, these things change quickly with conference realignment. Yeah, it is crazy. I, I think that the college athletics world has shifted dramatically in the past 10 years, but in the past five um, with realignment, past three with realignment, NIL, transfer portal, it's crazy. So like, I guess for you, you've been covering college football for quite a long time. How has your job changed with the things that you have to cover and the stories that you have to write? This season, I have read more court filings than I have stories from other outlets um, because that's just kind of the year it's been from coaches being fired to lawsuits to Congress to court cases involving the Pac-12. There's just been so much. And it really started about two years ago when Marshall, Southern Miss, and Old Dominion were trying to leave the conference USA right away to join the Sun Belt, and I had to pull up the the local courts in those, those towns and read the various filings that conference USA and, and those schools were making. And I was like, "Oh, this is like being a back like being a courts reporter or something." Um, and now that's just every month something like that is popping up. Uh, so that's the biggest change is that I've just talked to a lot more lawyers and done a lot more law type of stuff than ever before. Um, a lot of it related to conference realignment. So that's probably, I mean, that's probably the biggest change, especially this year. What a strange time. That is so odd to me. Um, what do you, what are your thoughts on the transfer portal and, you know, kind of what they mean for a group of five football? Um, I think it's really interesting um, for us to be watching you know, I think I uh, there's I don't remember the number, but quite a few of our all conference selections currently in the transfer portal. Um, so what are your thoughts kind of on the portal and how they um, affect group of five football? It's tough. Um, I think the number was like 17 all conference USA players are, are in the portal. Um, that's obviously a, a lot. Um, and all the group of five conferences are are dealing with that. But I, I, my colleague Max Olson had a good story last week that something like well over 50% of those group of five players who move up play fewer snaps at the bigger, at the higher up school. And so I think, you know, I don't know if it'll take some time for players to realize, hey, I, maybe I may not get enough playing time if I go elsewhere. Some of them do. Some of them end up having really big seasons. It just depends on where you go and, and who you are. Um, and the other part is the the COVID waiver, the, the extra eligibility for players has, it's like the biggest factor in all of this that nobody ever talks about. Like you have a lot of guys who normally just couldn't come back to college football, but now they can, and they're going to spend that year elsewhere. So it's going to take until like 25 or 26, I think 2025, 26 for those players to finally filter out and once that happens, I think you'll see a lot fewer players in the portal because you just you have guys who are playing longer than ever before. Everybody got an extra year of eligibility in 2020, and that was going to take years for that to to kind of work its way through the system. And in that time, the portal happened. And so 
uh, that that that's that's a that's a big factor. But for a group of five schools, you know, it, it's just kind of part of the process. Now you're going to lose your star players most likely, um, but the ones that thrive and continue to play well are the ones who use the portal to their advantage, understanding you're going to lose a lot of guys, but that also means a lot of people coming down. Uh, most, 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 um, most transfers are coming down a level or going equal. So there's a lot, you can grab a lot of guys who maybe are homesick and they're coming home. You know, like SMU did a lot of that back, you know, when they're in the American Dallas Fort Worth kids go somewhere else. They don't play for a couple of years. They want to come back to Dallas. SMU's their waiting. So like the group of five schools that serve, that that use the portal to their advantage and don't just complain about losing their best players are the ones that are going to thrive in this kind of new era. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if you're a coach nowadays, you have to be like an expert at the transfer portal, like you were saying. And if you're not, then, you know, you might get left left behind. Um, well, Chris, what type of stories besides the one for Conference USA do you have coming up? What do you want to plug? Anything exciting on the horizon for you? Are you going to any bowl games? Tell us about what you're headed to next. Going to the national championship game in Houston. I'll be going to the NCAA convention after that. Don't have a ton of stories in the work right now because it's, it's a lot of news. It's a lot of everybody's hiring new coaches portal kids are signing somewhere pac 12 drama is still going on uh so it's kind of just reacting to whatever's happening at the moment i've got some plans or some bigger things to get into in 2024 uh but uh yeah my stuff's just the we've got everything there college football um at chris vanini on, on twitter and all the social media channels whichever you use and yeah just kind of have some big hopes for 2024 but still kind of getting through the the end of the season well thank you so much for joining us today chris it is crazy that 2024 is just around the corner um, but like he said he's got a conference usa story on the horizon be on the lookout for that and then obviously we have liberty representing conference usa in the fiesta bowl on january 1st on espn versus oregon thanks again chris we really appreciate you being on today yeah thanks for having me Okay, that's it for us today. Obviously, again, you can check out that Fiesta Bowl preview show next week on December 27th. We will have Rob Mosley joining us uh, from Oregon Athletics, so be sure to turn in, tune into that one. And if you um, like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify. Give us a like on social media, at CUSA Insider Pod on X and Instagram. Give us a review um, on Apple or Spotify. And also, if you have any questions, concerns, I don't know, suggestions, shoot us a note via email and you can reach out to us at Insider at conferenceusa.com. All right, folks, that's it for me today. Enjoy your weekend. Um, Merry Christmas to those who celebrate. Happy holidays, everyone. And we will see you next week. This is Sarah Rudolph with CUSA Insider signing off.